just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast hosted by two brothers talking about a thing they care about more than other people. In this case, comic books. I'm one of those brothers, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other brother, Will Hines. Uh, This is a rare, we're in the same room episode. Yes, I'm visiting my brother in New Jersey, so this is a full-on East Coast episode. Yeah, there's no time zone changes, there's no travel, there's no... There's no internet lag. Yeah. There's probably a bit more echo, because we're in a kind of a very slightly echoey room. Sure, but but I'm always in this room when I record, so... Oh, really? Oh, it'll be all right then. And, um... So if there's echo, it's all you. All me, baby. Turn the gain up a little bit, let's give some little juice to this. All right, so... Yeah, and we um, are brothers. We are hilarious. What else is important? We like comic books. Uh, we're both eight feet tall. Yeah, we both have muscles as hard as stone. We both eat only raw rabbit. And it keeps us as fit as heck, bro. And we are dressed in the finest fashions. I'm currently wearing a three-piece suit with an Italian cut. Mm-hmm. Slim, trim cut suit. Yep, and I'm wearing a, a tarp. <laughs> striped tarp. And it looks good. It looks good. I mean, it looks it's good. It's the latest fashion in it works. some parts. It's working. Don't don't question it. And um, I think that's all you need to know. We are going over comic books. This season we're doing Sandman comics. That's right. We're covering the Neil Gaiman uh, Vertigo DC Comics epic series, The Sandman. Mm-hmm. And um, we're doing an issue from the arc that's called Brief Lives. We're doing chapter three of that arc. That's issue 43. Mm-hmm. Does it have the title there of what it's called? Nope. Okay, well, uh, whatever. Something about, something about old people. And um, and I'm really excited to go over it, Kevin. I just reread. Uh, I don't know. If uh, the, the People Who Remember Atlantis is the beginning of the title. Okay, so that's a huge, long title there. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Fiona Apple album. Kevin, you know that. You're big on music references. Sure. She's an Apple. That's she's right. a singing Apple, right? Yeah, you got it exactly right. Mm-hmm. And actually, you might as well be right. She's <laughs> kind of otherworldly in her persona and work, so she might as well be a singing Apple. Um, yeah, and I'm Kevin, I'm so excited. Uh, I said last episode that Game of You is my favorite arc, and I think that's true, but this is a very close second. Mm-hmm. And I just reread it moments before we started recording this episode, and I am just filled with emotion. This is just an incredible arc of, of, of a comic book story. If you haven't read it, folks, I'm telling you, if you like stories, <laughs> I think I you'll like If somebody is following along with us and they haven't read it all, we're ruining it. Like, oh, yeah. We're, we're, this is a terrible way to lots do it. Of it. <laughs> we're blown it. Um, and we're going too fast for you to keep up, maybe. It's the worst of all worlds. We're like mm-hmm. we're ruining it in terms of you being surprised by anything, but we're also going so fast that you cannot get the emotional impact of it either. Yeah. I don't know why anybody listens to this. <laughs> well, I guess if you've already read it and you love it and you just want to share the, yeah. the, the enthusiasm with somebody who really likes it. Um, so, anyway, Kevin, I'm really excited for this issue. It's just It's great. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, it's a fun issue. I just reread it as well earlier today. I didn't remember lots of it. I remembered kind of like two or three things. And I was like, and, oh, and I'd be curious it. to know what those things are that made it, that stuck in your mind. One of the characters is Dream. Okay, you remember that the main character was in the story. I remember Neil Gaiman wrote it. Okay, so you remember it was like some sort of weird combination of like pictures and like words. So you remember the medium of comic books. Okay, well, I thought a little bit more of the story might stick, but I I guess that's all we got. Yeah. 
I, and I guess I should say, I've never said this in another episode. Spoiler alert! Like, don't don't listen to this discussion. This is a dumb thing to say now. If you made it this far, and don't think you've been spoiled. If you've listened to this whole season, like, well, at least they're not spoiling me. We have been throughout. Because um, I'm going to say right now, what this arc is. I guess I'm going to give the premise of the arc, and this isn't too much of a big thing. But mm-hmm. this is where Dream and his sibling Delirium go on a search for their lost brother who's mm-hmm. called Destruction. Oh, it'd be so great to be missing a brother. Who <laughs> left the family. Um, and, uh, it's and th- it's and the dream. Is, it's the dream of most brothers that one of their brothers is missing. That's funny. I think the dream is to leave. I think it's to no, get away no, from your family no. and escape. We're not living up to this dream. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, and that, that's what the, the overall arc is about. And um, I don't know, it's like really good. Yeah, uh, there was reference throughout the throughout Sandman up until this point that they were missing a brother, but they did not reveal who it was. And like, if you were reading along at the time, there would always be speculation over what the domain of the missing sibling was. Yeah, during seasons of mists, uh, they refer to the the prodigal. Yeah, and that's the brother. It's season of mists, singular seasons of mists. Okay, you sound. Insane right now. Seasons. You sound absolutely There's many unhinged. seasons of mist. Mists come in the fall. A singular season. The of, there's one season of mists, and that arc covered it, and that's it, baby. The season of the season of mist? No, no, that's not the singular part. Um, yeah, they refer to the prodigal, and that's the reference to the brother who left. And just in case for some reason you're starting at this episode, Sandman is the king of dreams. Mm-hmm. He's a member of a family, and all the siblings... Are the rulers of some domain that begins with D? Yeah, they're called the Endless. The Endless. And there's destiny and death and despair and desire and delirium and dream and then the missing one. Yeah. And and you don't find out who he is. Although by the time this series begins, there is one issue where you see him, but he's not actually said by name. But you see that he's got armor on and a sword and a shield and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think uh, fans were like, oh, it must be destruction, destruction or something like that. Or destroy or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, it, yeah, he's the god of war, yeah. and that is confirmed in this in this um, arc or dashing. I guess it could be dashing. They do he's, pretty much. He struck a he struck a nice figure in that armor. I mean, he's not wearing a tarp. He's not wearing a great pinstripe tarp like you are. Well, this comic came out in the early nineties. <laughs> tarps would have been ridiculous back then. <laughs> not right now, where you look totally normal. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so destruction is the missing brother, and dream and delirium go a looking for him. And man, is it good! And what's happened in the previous couple issues of uh, uh, brief, brief lives? So yeah, we're starting with brief issue. life. I'm sorry. Oh boy, we're starting with chapter three. So in the first two, it's basically that delirium, the youngest sibling, who used to be delight, uh, but sometime went insane and turned to delirium, is missing her brother and is trying to find one of her siblings to help her find him. And she asks Desire, who says no, and she asks Despair, who says no, and she has Destiny and Death, and they say no. And she avoids Dream because Dream is grouchy, and she's scared of or intimidated or freaked out by Dream, mm-hmm. but she has no choice but to ask him. And we also find out, at the same time, Dream has been dumped by Thessaly, the witch who uh, he started dating shortly after Game of You. Oh, it's Thessaly. I don't remember that at all. They started dating? Right at the end of Game of You, she starts saying something like, he's not even that cute. I don't even know why he acts so mysterious. I mean, he's a little cute. Like, she starts, like, revealing mm-hmm. that she's attracted to him. And they do they date in the comic or, like, off-panel? Off-panel. They start dating after... <laughs> this is a ridiculous move. 
Yeah. Imagine if in Cheers, between seasons one and two, it was revealed that Sam and Diane dated the whole summer. Or even better, Sam and Fraser. Why is that better? More fun. Well, well, I guess, a better couple. I guess my point is that the the relationship, this, mm-hmm. re, this relationship that, I know, I know. that they showed during the season I know. didn't happen. In it doesn't season. work for Dream to be happy in a relationship. He's like a mopey teenager and he has to yeah. kind of stay that way. So did he murder Thessaly or no. imprison her in, uh, and put her uh, in, in hell? hell? No, he's just, he's incredibly depressed. He's so sad that like all of the dreaming is covered with a rainstorm <laughs> and everybody else is complaining that they always have to go through this when he gets his heart broken. Okay. And, um, and, uh, he seems like a bad ruler. <laughs> in a lot of ways he is <laughs> mad. All right. All right. Um, I, but again, since the imprisonment, which happened in Does issue, that affect everyone's dreams on earth? It does. It is. No. Just the administration of dreams. Okay, I agree. And um, I think there's a trickle-down effect. I think if everyone who's administering dreams is depressed and annoyed, yeah. and they're going to do a worse job. I guess you're right. Well, I guess dreams maybe just go on too long. You know what I mean? Maybe they're yeah. more disorganized than usual. Maybe yeah. you start having uh-huh. like dreams of other people's parents and <laughs> being naked in other people's high schools and stuff like that. Just, I'm just saying we need a different guy in charge of dreams. Well, he's dead at the end of this comic series, so you got your wish. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, I think we've mentioned in previous We've punches. mentioned it several times. Um, also, dreams, the, the whole 75-issue run of Sandman is dream after he's been imprisoned for 70 years. Spoiler and alert. And so he's, like, softer and nicer. Like, everybody's always commenting on it. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, you're so much nicer than you used to be. And when we see him in flashbacks, he's meaner than he is in the present day. Anyway, he's brokenhearted. And because he's brokenhearted, when Delirium asks him, he says, yes, I'll go with you. Not because I want to find destruction. Not because I care. I just need a distraction. And when he does that, the rainstorms relent and the sun comes out in the dreaming, and he leaves with um, delirium to go uh, looking for destruction. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so the well, the reason I picked this issue, I mean, again, I think the whole arc is terrific. I don't think you can go wrong with any issue you pick in this arc. I picked this one because of the way that it starts. There's like a device or some characters that are brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the very first page of this issue is, issue is one of these descriptions that I remember. So I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read the first page. Do you want to do every other panel with me? Uh, sure. Okay. Every other caption box? Every other caption box. So there's kind of like a lot here, but let's just do it. This is page one of uh, uh, chapter three. There are not many. There are not many of them, all things considered, the truly old. Even on this planet, in this age, when people consider a mere hundred years or a thousand to be an unusual span. There are, for example, less than 10,000 humanoid individuals alive on this planet today who have personal memories of the saber-toothed tiger, the megatherium, the cave bear. There are today less than a thousand who walked streets of Atlantis, the first Atlantis. The other lands that bore that name were shadows, echo Atlantises, myth lands, and they came later. There are less than 500 living humans who remember the human civilizations that predated the great lizards. There were a few. Fossil records are unreliable. Several of them lasted for millions of years. There are roughly 70 70 people walking the earth, human to all appearances, and in a few cases to all medical tests currently available, who were alive before the earth had begun to congeal from gas and dust. How well do you know your neighbors, your friends, your lovers? Walk the streets of any city and stare carefully at the people who pass you in wonder and know this. They are there too, the old ones. 
This is our way of saying that we are. <laughs> this is us. We've, we're this is, we've been meeting. Old, yeah. We've been around since the planet began to congeal. And yeah. let me tell you, it was boring. We're not going to talk about that in this podcast. No, we're just going to talk about who we think Spider-Man should have dated. Yeah. And uh, We've seen everything that's ever happened. Yeah, but we're going to talk about whether we think modern coloring techniques mm-hmm. in comic books are superior to Lynn Varley's paints. Spoiler, mm-hmm. no. Get ready for more Cheers references from <laughs> these two... Uh, uh, eternal beings. We knew Thor personally, and we witnessed the the invention of fire. But think about those Rebecca years on Cheers. <laughs> that was interesting. Uh, anyway, that page one to me is like classic Sandman. Just like the idea of people being alive forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's sort of being casually mentioned as a no big deal thing. And that there are in fact more than one of them. And along the way, casual references to multiple Atlantises. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of really fun. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, there's the main plots of these stories, and I think they are secondary. The the plump fruit of reading a Sandman story are these little, like little these ideas that are brought up along the way that are kind of compelling, and I love that one. That page is why I picked this issue. All right. Well, unfortunately for Will, there are more pages. Yeah. Um, we cut from that page to a character named Bernie Capex, who turns out to be one of these old ones. Yeah, it's it's uh, not directly said, but it's heavily, heavily told to you through and then all his thoughts. Um, he looks he, he's a he's a bald guy in a suit and a briefcase with a ponytail, and he looks not just like a boring corporate guy, but kind of a cheesy one, like with the ponytail. Like he looks yeah. like the kind of guy you would definitely overlook. He's a lawyer, and he's just like got kind of a. Nine to five job at a law firm, like it's it's not like he's like this super powerful. Yeah, you'd think that like these eternal people would be super powerful, like you and me running a podcast, right? But uh, this one just has like a, a lawyer job. He rides a bus. He's riding a bus. He's ta- looking at the newsstand. He's kind of walking along. Um, yeah, but like Kevin says, the the captions that are sort of narrating his thoughts reveal a little bit. Well, one thing it says: people always need lawyers. He's been. Mostly he's been a lawyer of one kind or another, which means he's been a lawyer for all of human civilization. Um, He's thinking of a dream he had just before waking, which reminds him of something Freud once said to him about how we don't smell anything in dreams. And he's thinking how that just isn't true. He's thinking of the mammoths he dreamed of this morning, steam rising from their thick brown coats in the chill of that interminable winter. Mm -hmm. So reference to Freud, the Ice Age, and woolly mammoths in the mind of this Bernie Capex. Yeah, uh, uh, and this guy is just basically going to work, I guess. He's walking down the street, and then all of a sudden he notices like a bunch of bricks, like a wall is sort of collapsing over him, and it's too late for him to do anything. He, he looks up and he sees it coming down, and it's a really fun final caption on that page when he is about to die, basically, and it says, he can hear himself screaming as the wall comes down, and he's surprised when he hears what the words are. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. This guy's lived... I mean, at least from the mammoths, as far as we know. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's too quick for him. Right. Uh, and then um, his ghost is looking over his body, and he thinks he survived. We should also say this is drawn by Jill Thompson, who uh, is great. Is a great artist. Um, yeah. Has done things like Scary Godmother and Beasts of Burden. Yeah. Uh, she's incredible. I'm glad Kevin's here. He's read other comics besides the, like, six comic series that I read. Um, but the, uh, the art in this is this is maybe my favorite art. That we've seen. I agree. This, this is the kind of the art that I picture when I think of Sandman, by the way. Like the way uh, yeah. the way Jill draws just all the characters, that is kind of the definitive in my brain. Like K-Pax uh, 
there's a he's, there's an aspect of him that feels almost like a, a comic strip character, yeah. like a Doonesbury character, <laughs> like almost like simply drawn. Yeah. But then there's also details and there's there's fluidity and there's it's active. Jill Thompson is it's a, a phenomenal phenomenal yeah, artist, cartoony in the way that it needs to to be expressive, yeah. but uh, realistic enough to that you know she's got chops. She's also say Beasts of Burden is an amazing comic that she draws, written by Evan Dorkin. Oh, spoiler alert. Um, it's not at all a spoiler. <laughs> um, so he thinks he survived from him, but then death shows up. And um, and so that we know, the reader, up. Oh, that means he's a goner. Yeah. Um, and uh, Bernie says to death, I did okay, didn't I? I mean, I got, what, 15,000 years? That's pretty good, isn't it? I lived a pretty long time. Death is not impressed. You lived when anybody gets Bernie. You got a lifetime. No more, no less. Yeah. Um, I'm impressed, though, for Bernie. I'm impressed, but isn't that a fun introduction? Yeah. To death, it, it does, it's all meaningless. Uh, yeah. What we find out here is that, like, these old people are... I, I think I have this right. This is one of those things that's always a little confusing when I reread these stories, but um, Dream and Delirium have begun searching for destruction. Destruction wants so much not to be found that he has set up, like, traps to, like, stop anybody from finding him. And that's what's being set off and what's killing people. I don't oh, quite know why Bernie gets killed because of Dream and Delirium looking for destruction, but that's what's happening. Well, he's on the list. All right, he knows he knows destruction. We haven't gotten to that list yet, but when I got to this part, I thought he just died from a freak accident. I didn't remember any of that part that Willis said. So I was like, oh, this, this endless guy dies. That clear, or this uh, immoral guy dies. It's clearly immortal, immortal. not immoral, Kevin. Uh, I said immortal. Okay, I, I, said said, I thought you said immoral. I just said it quickly. Uh, and uh, I think he just... Uh, oh, I forget my point now. Oh, I thought it was just a random happenstance thing, mm -hmm. and I figured it would play into the story. But then as the story goes on, I'm like, oh, this guy was killed. Yes, Delirium has a list of people she knows who know destruction, mm -hmm. and one of them says the lawyer. That's right, and, and that's, that's Bernie. That's so, Bernie. like, yeah, I guess like destruction has these like magical traps set up. Yeah, to and none of that's revealed in this issue. Another character runs from a trap later on, but I didn't, I didn't know it was a trap at that time. I just mm -hmm. thought, oh, someone's trying to kill her now, mm -hmm. which means that K-Pax was killed, mm -hmm. and that's all I knew. I didn't know it was destruction, so I didn't reread the issues following this. Yeah, now I won't because Will's ruined them for me. So we cut to Delirium and Dream, and they're walking somewhere. Gosh, I should know where this is, and I don't know. Is they it say in Dublin. Paris? Oh, Dublin? Okay, great. He says in Dublin. Okay, yeah. So I'm assuming he's not lying. Um, and so they're like, why are we in Dublin? Uh, Delirium says, why are we in Dublin? And Dream says, we are arranging transportation. I love this sequence, too. And they go to basically, like, an well, office. Well, there's a lot. The, basically, the fun of this whole issue is just Delirium... And dream. Dream conversations. And Delirium keeps doing this thing where she asks for words that don't exist. Okay, yeah. Uh, what's the name of the word for the precise moment when you realize that you've actually forgotten how it feels to make love to somebody you really liked a long time ago? Dream says, there isn't one. She goes, oh, I thought maybe there was. No, there isn't. And it's mostly that. Like, she says some rambling thing and he just goes, no. Right. She, uh, he's like this very deadpan, terse, serious fellow. And yeah. she's like fanciful and also incredibly dangerous. Like at any moment she could like turn somebody's life into a living hell, which yeah. she does a couple times in this arc. Not in this issue. So again, that's a spoiler. Oh boy, Will. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, so they're going for transportation and they go to somebody's office. They go to like a, just a travel agency. 
which existed in the early 90s and was pretty common, pre-internet. You'd have to go to a travel agent to arrange... Yeah, travel agencies vanished... With Travelocity, basically. Like, with the arrival of, like, being able to book plane tickets yourself. But I guess it was, like, when video stores vanished, I saw it coming. Like, it was like, oh, Netflix is here. Yeah. They they sort of trickled away, and you just saw, oh, they're fading away. But to me, it was like... It's like, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I guess travel uh, travel, uh, agents are just not a thing. You just don't need them like you used to. Yeah. I I mostly know that from doing improv scenes. It's like, I did improv scenes when I first started... Or I did improv scenes set in travel agencies when I first started doing improv and then at some point I was like oh students don't even know what that is right there are less than 10,000 people on this planet who once walked into a travel agent <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah like there still are travel agents for like specialty yes like, yes but there used to just be a common thing like in every like town you'd have like several travel many agents. many many of them if you went on vacation you almost always went to one so dream and delirium two gods basically walk into a travel agent and they want transportation dream has decided that they're going to travel like earthlings for some reason Mm -hmm. mostly because he's in no hurry he's just looking to kill time yeah and not be thinking about his ex-girlfriend yeah nothing nothing phases him in this issue uh, uh, the list being my favorite one of those. What it turns out is the guy who's running this travel agency is another one of the old ones, or maybe even a former god. He's a former god, yeah. That Dream has been friends with, and he's just kind of in disguise as a mortal man running a travel agency, although yeah. he does run travel, I think all travel on the planet. Yeah. But uh-huh. this woman who is the receptionist doesn't know that. Yeah, she's just a receptionist who's <laughs> dealing with Dream and Delirium. It's also interesting, like, when I'm reading this issue, like the next three or four pages, I'm like, this feels like a waste, like just padding the story. It's like very fun and entertaining because watching Dream and Delirium yeah. interact with each other and with normal humans is yeah. very fun. But if you remove that from the story, it has zero, zero impact on anything. There's just a lot of, yeah, like Kevin said, a lot of the main fun of this issue is of this arc is Dream and yeah. Delirium's road trip. And, um, it's one of the comedy sequences is when they, and sometimes a horror sequence, when they deal with a regular mm-hmm. mortal and they don't ever bother to explain what's going on. Like they walk into this travel agency, Dream, who is super white skin, Robert Smith looking dude. When we say white skin, we don't mean like you and me, pale. like Caucasian. Like we mean like white, like painted wall white. Like chalk. Yeah. Um, he says to the, the receptionist, says, Good afternoon, can I help you? And he says, We will talk with Faramond. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she only knows her boss as Mr. Farrell, which is, I guess, the name he's adopted. Yeah, so to clarify, Dream says, who rules here? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't follow you. To whom do you report? Who employs you? Who controls transportation? Would you be what talking... a weird thing to say to a travel agent. <laughs> who controls transportation? Would you be talking about our Mr. Farrell? Yes, call him. <laughs> Uh, and she sort of doesn't want to call him, and she asks for Dream's name. And here's what I mean: like if he just said it's Morpheus, yeah, that was, she would have given the name. He would have come right out. The next three pages don't happen, but he refuses to give his name. Yes, um, and but it is so funny. Like Delirium makes actual real jokes here, yeah. um, and. I guess I'll read some of them. I think they're quite funny. The receptionist cont- continuing right where we left off. Can I have your name? And Delirium answers, don't you have one? That's sad, not having a name. I used to have one name. Then I had to get another one. If you don't have a name, what do people call you? I mean, do they just wave and smile or jingle little silver bells or what? 
Yeah. And then after she talks for a while, the travel agent's receptionist just goes, I'm sorry, is this person with you? Because Dream isn't really responding to her. Yeah. But he does seem more sensible than Delirium. And then Delirium just goes, I'm not a person. Which is true. She's a god. Which is a very weird response that if you're a travel agent uh, working at a travel agency. Um, So there's back and forth where she calls up to where the boss is and, you know, they're trying to get rid of them and Dream has had it. He says, call back and have the following message given to him. Tell him that we drank wine in Babylon together. Again, just say, I'm Morpheus. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm the, yeah, the Dream Lord or whatever. Morpheus at least probably wouldn't freak out people. If you said the Dream Lord, they'd be like, all right, I'm going to call the police. Yeah, Morpheus, Morpheus could be a freaky name. Could be a weird he name. He just could be a DJ in Las Vegas. Yeah, you'd be like, after Matrix, you're just like, oh, the dude loved yeah. the Matrix. Seven years before the Matrix, but... um, Yeah, I'm saying after the Matrix is what I said, Will. Yeah, People would just assume you I'm love saying the that Matrix. The Matrix stole the idea from here. <laughs> yeah, the name existed before this comic book. They all got it from here. Interesting. There's another word that Delirium tries to get at the end of this page. Is there a word for forgetting the name of someone when you want to introduce them to someone else at the same time you realize you've forgotten the name of the person you're introducing them to as well? Dream goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then we cut to Fairmont, or is known as Feral now. Yeah, the god of transportation. And he's sort of just dealing. He's got like, he's got two phones, uh, one on each ear. He's smoking. He's got maps all over. And it's just sort of detailing all sort of the transportation problems all over. Like this is like at first you think this is a travel agency. Like oh, they're just going to get a taxi cab in Dublin. Yeah. But he's dealing with issues all over the world. Yeah, he's like a light plane crashed on a highway in Trieste. A passenger 747 inexplicably failed to crash over Tanzania. A mule track in Paraguay was washed out by floods. So he's overseeing all transportation. Yeah. Uh, but his, his, apparently his support staff do not know that. Yeah. Because um, a sort of another receptionist, different than the one we saw before, walks in and relays the message. They say you drank wine and, oh no, um, this woman gets it wrong. Yeah. In a uh, pub somewhere. The man says you had a drink together in some pub or something. He's like, I don't go to pubs. Throw them out. Then the first yeah. reception. I love the design of this secretary. Again, Jill Thompson's so good. She looks like she's out of for better or for worse or something. The second receptionist, the older woman. Yeah, the one. older woman, his secretary. We cut back to the younger one, and she is sort of cowering in her chair because... Um, well, we don't know yet. Um, but Mr. Farrell calls her, uh, and he goes, what the hell is going on down there? And she says, you can read it well. Um, well, there are these two people here, sir. The man says he drank wine with you somewhere called Babylon, and the lady... Yes. She, She's making little frogs, and Delirium is just manifesting brightly colored rainbow frogs that are jumping everywhere. Right, and it's like, this, it's like the panel pulls out the show. Dream standing there, and her uh, Delirium on the floor just covered in frogs. The receptionist says, he says he's on his way down, and Dream just goes, good. Yeah. So again, very deadpan. And, and you're right, it's three pages of basically comic relief of the yeah. gods interacting with these mundane trappings. Yeah. Um, it doesn't move the story forward. It doesn't add anything to the story. It doesn't affect anything later on that happens. And then uh, the the god of transportation shows up, Lord Morpheus. This is indeed a pleasure, and he knows these two. He knows their deal. He invites them to his office, and he sets everything up that they need. Yeah. Um, and their conversation is also fun. It's like two old drinking buddies catching up, but it's the gods. Right. Uh, he, he talks about like he had made some deal. Dream helped him out at some point, and so now he kind of owes Dream one. Um Dream asks Delirium where we should go. Sister, where should we start? She goes, here? <laughs> Dream's response, very good. We are here. Where should we travel to now? Like, he's, he doesn't... 
He's, he humors her more than most people. Yeah, he doesn't call that out as the wrong answer. He's like, all right, good. Now we're here. Right. <laughs> now what do we do? Uh, and she, goes, <laughs> she goes, somewhere that's not here? <laughs> that was the idea, yes. And that's when she gets the list of people that knows destruction. She disappears and goes back to her realm and then reappears here. And uh, her and list says... The, the list is comically unhelpful. It's, it's written on the back of an envelope, literally. Um, it is in sort of bad handwriting. She uses flowers to dot her eyes. And the list of people that they have to contact in order to find a hidden god, destruction, is the lawyer, the alderman, Etain of the second look, and the dancing woman. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Really funny. And Dream doesn't look at this and go, well, this is not helpful. He he accepts this and moves on. He seems to know who some of these people are since they continue on with their journey. But Um, then we cut away. We cut away. Probably a good time to take our break. Good time to take a break. Let's do it. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. All right, we are back. Um, Kevin, what sequence do we find ourselves in now? So now we're uh, uh, we're, we're seeing another one of these eternal, immortal mm-hmm. and this people. Is, and this is Etain. She's on the list. Yes. Does it say her name is Etain? Right here. All right. Great. Um, I couldn't read her handwriting in the envelope, so I don't think that connected with me. But yeah, it's pretty clear now that you say that. Yeah. Uh, and she's just like getting up. She's making coffee. She's microwaving something. Just like Bernie Kapak, she's one of the old ones, but she seems to be living a fairly mundane life. Yeah. And then uh, all of a sudden, she's like sitting on the, her chair drinking her coffee, and things get serious. Her face is filled with fear, and um, um, uh. The captions, as she's like, she drops her coffee and is running full speed out of the apartment. And the captions are like, later, Etain was unable to categorize the events that followed. Certainly, she smelled gas. But by the time she smelled the gas, she was already running through the bedroom toward the fire escape. Like some sort of instinctual fight or flight instinct kicked in. Right. I love in these panels where Jill Thompson, again, just like shines like the coffee cup being spilled and, the, and, the, and like the frozen image of the coffee splashing. There's just so much uh, motion, right, in every image. Yeah. Like none of the images look still in a nice way. They're all very lively. And as much as like Kelly Jones' stuff and those earlier issues is cool and Sam Keith is so, they're so weird and, and strange. Sometimes it's hard to follow what's going on. And to Thompson's stuff is so super clear, super distinctive, but without being like mundane and boring. Yes. It's still stylish and cool. I, I, I love her. Uh, Etain survives. She was about to be killed like Bernie Capex was, but she moved fast enough that she got out of the apartment before it explodes. Yeah, it explodes. Uh, she's a cut on her legs and her arms. Um, you see the building explode behind her. It knocks her over. And then she goes into a store to buy some clothes and shoes. And we find out later that she survives and is hidden in one of the distant realms. So she was almost killed, but she escaped. Right. And now we cut to another character. Cut to another character who is a man painting um, uh, on the on near some cliffs, which overlook a 
a body of water and a beautiful sunset. And we do find out pretty soon this is the sibling that is being searched for. This is destruction. Yeah, it's it's it, it feels pr- pretty clear. I mean, I knew it was right away. I don't know if that's because I read it before, but it feels like it's him. Yeah, and um, he has a talking dog named Barnabas who is adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and destruction is always creating. He's painting or doing music or making something, and he's mediocre in all of these pursuits. <laughs> that's something that I find... I relate to destruction, like he sort of is always wanting to make stuff that he can't quite seem to become a master of it, but it is sort of, I don't know, like by definition ironic and also just funny that like destruction is creating stuff all the time. That's right. Like we, and like I've said before, every one of the endless, their personality is the opposite of their domain. Death is lively, uh, de- except for destiny. Desire is like cold. Mm-hmm. Despair is empathetic. Dream is serious, and destruction is creative. Yeah. Again, the fun of this page is the interplay between destruction and his dog Barnabas. Yeah, you're right. It's very parallel to dream and delirium. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of opposite. Like delirium is the comic relief, and dream is serious. And here, destruction is sort of, you know, yeah. gregarious, big laugher, sort of the kind of guy you'd go into a pub with and who would yeah. roar with laughter, and the dog is kind of like yeah. over it. Well, they're both chatty. Neither one of them is terse, but... Yeah. Um, I'm not asking for criticism, Barnabas. Merely a few honest words of appreciation about his painting. And the dog says, Honestly, while the perspective shot to hell, the colors could be better chosen, and the olive tree on the left looks like an overgrown stinging nettle. Um, and then Distress goes, Humph, what the hell would you know? You're a dog. Barnabas, did I ever say I wasn't? Yeah, it's just very fun. Um, he, the, I, what I like about Barnabas's character is um, he's like funny and like you know, sort of like Alfred is to Batman, sort of yeah. like the voice of reason. But he also is a dog. Like he likes playing. He likes <laughs> food and fetching, and he gets sad if he has to be separated from his from his master. Yeah, destruction says later. You know Barnabas. Uh, you know Barnabas. There are those who claim that for unquestioning respect and eternal devotion, all one needs is a dog. And Barnabas's response is, "Hey schmuck, devotion you've got." Perjury isn't in the job description. <laughs> right. Very British, right? It's very yeah. like Hitchhiker's Guide and just Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Um, the sort of dry um, regard of the facts. Um, but here's where we are confirmed that, that this man is one of the endless because his dog alerts him that there's something going on in his room, in a private room, and he opens this door to his house, and inside is what's um, a gallery. Or is it called a galley? I don't know what it's called. It's one of the two. They always say, like, I stand in your gallery. I'm holding your sigil. I'm standing in my galley, I think it is. I'm holding your sigil. Anyway, he's got an endless room where he's got, like, the Mm -hmm. symbols of all of his siblings on the walls, which they all have. But they're – every one of the endless has a room with frames on the wall, which an image of each of their siblings. But for destructions in all of their rooms, it's empty. Yeah. There is no sigil. And in his room, there is a sword in his own painting for his. Yeah. His is not empty. And he's got the ones of all of his siblings. And there's like a pool of water in the middle of the room sort of just roiling and bubbling and splashing over. And the dog goes, what is it? And uh, referring to the pool and uh, destruction says it's, well, I suppose you could call it an early warning system. Barnum goes, I don't like it. What's it warning you against? Destruction goes trouble. And then the dog growls mm-hmm. and he, repeat, he goes big trouble. So fun. Yeah. Um, uh, then we cut back to the madcap 
uh, hijinks <laughs> of dream and delirium on their road trip. They're on a plane. Yeah. Uh, they're riding on a plane. Delirium's got the window seat. That's nice of Dream. Yeah. They seem to be flying first class. That's nice of uh, Fairmond. Yeah. Um, Delirium asks Dream, have you ever been in an aeroplane before? He goes, no, I have. <laughs> uh, I guess yeah, Dream has no reason to have been on an airplane. Yeah, but Delirium has been on one and she enjoys it. Uh, there's a fun little exchange uh, with a, another passenger. Right, across the aisle from Dream of Delirium is a mother and a daughter, uh, and the mother gets up to go to the bathroom. And the, before she does, the daughter's complaining about a dream. Uh, I had a dream that I was looking for you and Daddy, and I looked in the garden, but you weren't there. So I went, went in the woods looking for you, but I couldn't find you, and I called out, but nobody was there. And I was lost, and I was scared I'd be lost forever. Yeah, and the mom tells the daughter, you're a silly mouse. You can't get lost in a dream. You always wake up. Daughter goes, I suppose... And then the mommy gets up to go to the bathroom. And then the king of dreams <laughs> yeah, happens happened to overhear this conversation about dreams. Uh, leans over and says, child. And the kid goes, yeah, your mother was wrong. You can indeed become lost in dreams. And you may not always find yourself when you wake up. Oh, my name's Chloe Russell. I know. My mommy calls me her little mouse. And that's, that's all we hear of their conversation. Yeah. This whole series is a ton of just, like, chit-chat between, like, gods and mm-hmm. mortals. And that is kind of Neil Gaiman's, like, that's one of his, like, superpowers, is he always can do that in a really fun way. Yeah, I mean, this is American Gods. This is what he likes to do. And good omens. Like, yeah. it's just sort of, like, the casual chit-chat of, like, Odin or whatever. Yeah, uh, when the mom comes back to the seat... I want to say one more thing. When the mom is at the bathroom, we don't have to get into this exact thing, but there's kind of a monologue of what the mom says to the flight attendant where she's telling the story of her ex-husband and her complaints, and she's trying to place where she knows Dream and Delirium from Mm -hmm. because they look familiar to her. And just that little monologue is just fun and realistic and just like, like you say, that adds kind of nothing to the story in terms of the main plot. It just like is fun. Like it's just like a good character. I mean, nothing on this airplane adds anything to the plot other than they took an air fl- a flight. You, this maybe could be a four-page story <laughs> yeah. in terms of the plot that's covered, but it's just the the journey is what's fun. Yeah. Um, when the mom comes back, uh, she she uh, the mom has been told that the that Dream had been talking to her daughter, and she goes, "Did that man say something to you?" "Yes, mommy." "Oh, what did he say?" True things. Right. And the mom's convinced it's somebody famous, so yeah. maybe that's why she's not so freaked out at the strange, but yeah. she's kind of trying to angle and find out who this famous person is. Um, and then uh, when they're getting off the airplane, the little girl says to Dream, will you tell me something? Perhaps. When I dream, sometimes I remember how to fly. You just lift one leg, and then you lift the other leg, and you're not standing in anything, and you can fly. And then when I wake up, I can't remember how to do it anymore. So so what I want to know is, when I'm asleep, do I really remember how to fly and forget how when I wake up, or am I just dreaming I can fly? This is the most Neil gaiman conversation mm-hmm. in maybe the entire series. This girl's too precocious. Yes. Um... Uh, all British people want all characters to be more verbal and witty than they really are. Yeah. It's just something that they pretend. Um, dream well, answer is when you dream, sometimes you remember. When you wake, you always forget. But that's not fair. And Dream goes, no. And that's the end of that. Kids need to be 
smarter in stories. Otherwise, it's stupid. Uh, it, yeah, having a four-year-old, he's very fun and, and a delight to play with. But if you just transcribe our conversations, it's boring and repetitive. He doesn't really move the plot along too well. Um, and it, and it, you're not going to get reactions out of anything. He just wants to sort of do the same thing over and over again. And that's pretty normal for those kids. Mm-hmm. So if you were writing a four-year-old, you're going to have one that's just a little bit brighter, a little bit yeah. more adult. Yeah. Because... <laughs> You can do more with it. You want kind of the bluntness of a child, but the awareness of a 16-year-old or yes, something. Yes, that's right. So Dream and Delirium get off the plane. They meet somebody named Ruby who works for Feral Travel, and they have an antique, old, kind of classic car, and she is it's their like driver. something that the Adams family or the Munsters would drive. Yeah. Very sporty, though. It's kind of James Bond meets the Batmobile is how I would say it. Yeah, I don't know. It's black. It's a convertible, but it looks like something out of uh, the the wacky racers cars. Uh, uh, the guy, uh, Muttley, and uh, his guy would drive. It like looks a, like a villain's car. It does look like a villain's car. Or like a millionaire, a railroad baron in a top hat or something. Yeah, but from like the 1920s. Yeah. <laughs> Not from Not the 1870s or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Very old car. And so Ruby's going to be their chauffeur, and she's driving them around. And, um, oh, this is the end of the issue. Yeah. Um, they're going to continue their journey. And Destiny, I'm sorry, Delirium has one more word she wants to know. What's the name of the word for things not being the same always. You know, I'm sure there is one, isn't there? There must be a word for that. The thing that lets you know time is happening. Is there a word? Ruby goes, beats me, hun. But then Sandman, or Dream, answers, change. And she goes, oh, I was afraid of that. And that's the end of the issue. Yep. Isn't it good, Kevin? Yeah, it's good. I'm oh, not gonna, I'm gonna, it's no, just, it's bad. Just like little twists mm-hmm. like that are, you know, there's mm-hmm. been this pattern of her trying to ask for words and yeah. the word has changed and that's scary. Man, man, he's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very fun read. Um, it's very readable. It's very fun. Um, not much happens. And I, that might be true of the whole arc. I haven't reread the whole arc, but it's... Uh, uh, no, a lot happens. Compared to the previous arc, um, it just feels like fun and easily readable and just, uh, yeah, I'm going to announce comics that's just a, a pleasure to read. Um, so I'm going to now spoil the whole rest of the story. Okay. But I'll do it quick. So just skip the next three minutes if you don't want to hear the rest of the story. Okay. So what happens, Kevin, mm-hmm. is um, they find uh, the alderman turns himself into a bear and escapes. So they can't find him. They find the dancing lady, which turns out to be an ex-girlfriend of destruction. And she dream visits her and says, I want to know about my brother. It freaks her out. And she basically kills herself. She's the god of she's a goddess of love, and she does. She's working in a strip club, and she dances with her full actual intensity for the first time, and it drives all of the men in the club insane. And then she explodes, and that freaks Dream out. He's sad that they are causing the death of people, and so he refuses to. He calls off the chase, but then Delirium gets really depressed. Death yells at Dream, which she always does. Dream agrees to continue, but this time in earnest. And so then they then they very pointedly are finding destruction, and they're able to find him quickly. And um, the way Dream does it is he asks his son Orpheus, who is still alive, hmm. who is close with destruction, but he's refused to talk to his son. And it's a uh, Calliope's him and Calliope's son. And uh, his son is a, just a head because of uh, various adventures and wants to be killed, but he's immortal. And so he asks his father to kill him, and in exchange for that, he'll tell him where destruction is. So Sandman agrees, finds out where destruction is. They go and visit destruction. They have a lovely chat, and destruction gives out a lot of philosophy, and this is, I don't want to be found. I miss you guys. You're very sweet. And he leaves, 
And then Sandman returns and murders his son, which will cause his own death in the next arc. That's the story. Mm -hmm. That's a sort of a trope. (laughs) Which part is the trope? I mean, the whole thing. It feels like... I love it. It feels like it's sort of just a retread of classic movies like Casablanca and those sort of things. It's, It's all there. I think my favorite part of the arc that that is not related to the main plot is each of the other Endless has a flashback where they remembered their last meeting with Destruction. Mm -hmm. And each of them remember him as this gregarious, friendly, warm person. Like, they all miss him desperately. They love him and they miss him. You you, you get that, right? Like how you have... Uh, I'm waiting for you to go away and see Uh what happens. Uh And... um, It's just very sweet and warm and nice. And I talked about this last episode, but like... uh, a really oversimplified way of saying what makes Sandman stories great is there a mixture of sort of gruesome, creative violence and cynicism mixed with sweet human friendship, mm-hmm. kind of. And like that's kind of the fun concoction of a Sandman story. You're going to get some gruesome gothic ritual shit and you're going to get like siblings who miss each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's just quite uh, sweet. You're going to get road trips and peanut jokes on the airplane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You get some of that, and then you're going to get, like, uh, somebody carving somebody's face off and pinning it to the wall to find out answers. Right, right. Um, All right, well, that's Brief Lives. And so if you—guys, if you are reading Brief Lives for the first time or Sandman at all, please email us at screwitspidey at gmail. Any thoughts on Sandman uh, at all or any comic books, frankly, or anything we've mentioned. If you want to talk about Cheers, (laughs) uh, if you want to talk about Atlantis. The Earth Congealing. Yeah, whatever. You want to ask me and Kevin about the Earth Congealing, we won't answer you, but you can ask us. And um, or anything at all, please email us at screwitspidey. And you can also follow our Instagram, screwit... We'll go over this at the end also, but as long as I'm into to no, social media land. Uh, Screw It Comics is our Instagram account where there's really, Kevin puts all these great screenshots up of the um, comics that we're reading so you can see some of Jill Thompson's terrific art um, and all the great artists that uh, of the issues we do. And then we also have uh, Screw It Spidey and Screw It Recent are two other Instagram accounts that are optional. That's just for you completists. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right. Um, we got a bunch of emails to get through, Will. Let's do it. First one's from a friend of ours, Eric Tanoy. Okay. His are always funny. This better be funny. Uh, okay, pressure's on. <laughs> uh, hello, milk wastes. It's already good. All right. Here's a silly hypothetical question. Hmm. An eccentric billionaire gives you an unlimited budget to make two TV shows about superhero teams. <laughs> okay. This might be a real offer. I, sus- I suspect Eric might be an eccentric well, we better billionaire. better treatment, yeah. Uh, you have enough money to hire any actors and writers you want. You just need to choose which heroes will be in the teams. But... The eccentric billionaire was raised by a special effects artist who was never around. For this reason, the billionaire hates visual effects and won't let you include them in the show. So no CGI, no green screens, no animation. He is okay with stuntmen, so you could do things like they did in the 1970s Spider-Man and Hulk live-action TV shows. Ouch. Uh, and a few heroes who just shoot regular weapons like Punisher, Black Widow, Hawkeye would be acceptable. Mm-hmm. But the billionaire wants superpowers. Obviously, you could include a telepath like Professor X because the actor just has to squint and think hard to use their power. <laughs> but if you want a character who flies, you'd have to have an actor jump up and then cut away to other people <laughs> watching the person fly away <laughs> or yelling, wow, that guy just flew away using superpowers. Yeah. So given these limitations, what heroes would you put on the team? He wants one series in the Marvel Universe and one in the DC Universe. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know if Eric listens to our podcast. I think he just sends us questions. <laughs> I think he does. Like it is a very fun question, and of course, we're not going to give it enough time to mm-hmm. give it a real answer. Yes. We don't so, what's it. our tactic? Do we pick heroes with like 
non-showy powers, or do we, um, or do we pick uh, ones with powers? We're just cool with them either not being shown or being shown badly. I think you want ones with powers that you could show through practical effects. Okay, so um, like a nightcrawler, you could sort of do. Just with the old, like, stop the camera and he moves or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Is that a cheat? I don't know. My I, first You thought, could do it in the 70s. So. My first thought for Marvel is uh, the Heroes for Hire, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. It's what I wanted Marvel to do when they did the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show because I think those powers are so doable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did them on the Netflix show. But um, one guy's just bulletproof. That's easy to show. And he's strong. And that's sort of easy to show, like, just yanking people with ropes and stuff. Right, right, right. And the other guy just, like, punches hard. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, they're relatively normal, but those are kind of cool powers that you can use in inventive ways. And I think those you could do cool things with those two guys. That's your Marvel one. That's my Marvel one. Yours is Nightcrawler? Um, <laughs> give me a second. Uh, we don't I'll, have to do different ones. I'll pick, um, no, I'll do, um, well, I, this was kind of done with Daredevil, but, um, um... I mean, I was thinking Kingpin, like a crime show where it's just like yeah. a lot of mob and crime stuff since that's all yeah. very doable. And then the one hero, I guess, would be um, uh, oh, the Invisible Woman. Yeah, you can do her pretty yeah. force field. The thing. Invisible Woman versus the Kingpin. The Invisible Woman gets into the crime world. <laughs> all right. I also think a power you could do pretty easily is shape-changing. Or, or not shape-changing it to anything, but you could do somebody who could look like anyone like else. Like Mystique. Yeah, Mystique would be easy because you could just, like, cut away. <laughs> yeah. And have her occasionally, like, lip-sync yeah. each other's voices. Yeah. And I don't think that would feel like you maybe want to see the power a little bit, but I don't yeah. think it would hurt the show at all, really. Right. Especially if you edited it stylist- stylistically. How about Empath, the mutant who's just good at, like, manipulating emotions? Sure. Um, or what, what's the one from the New Mutants who could just con- control your mind, like take over your body? Wasn't she one of them? Uh, yeah. I'm, the, uh, shoot, I'm not sure. She's one of the first ones. And Ilyana. Uh, it wasn't Danny Moonstar. It wasn't uh, Wasn't Cannibal. the werewolf. Wasn't where, it wasn't Ron. Wasn't Rain. Colossus's sister. Nope. Uh, Who's the other one? Uh, dark hair. I think she was Asian. Oh, yes. Gosh, I'll look it up while, while you're... Anyway, that's a power you could do as well because um, it's just controlling people, especially if you're controlling people who don't otherwise have powers. Um, that's a good... But DC, I don't know, what characters in DC? I just don't know enough out of DC. Yeah. How about Zantana and Zartara, the magicians? Yeah, I think that'd be tough to do without special effects. I think you'd have to do a lot of cheap... Uh, How about Dead Man? You can make somebody look like translucent pretty easily. Yeah, you can do Dead Man. He takes over people's bodies. Dead Man would work pretty good. Okay, Dead Man's my pick. Um, oh, I'll take Dead Man. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, no. Um, Psyche? Is that who you're thinking of? Yeah, I think so. That's her, what's her real name? No, that's not her then. Sunspot? Nope. Cannibal? Magma? Magic? Warlock? Um, Wolfsbane? Karma? Karma? Karma then. Oh, yeah. Karma, yeah. yeah. Seize control of another's mind. Yeah, that's karma. Okay. So she's cool. Yeah. Um, she's a Zian Koi Man. Rolls off the tongue. I, okay. She, I, I didn't know it. Uh, she wasn't on the... She left the team after a while. She's I, I only know. in the very first incarnation. She's yeah. only in the first six issues. Um, but that power is pretty cool. She comes well, she, back. She comes back. Yeah, she's she 34. Comes. 
There you go. She okay. comes and goes. New Mutants is great. Gosh, I, I love that comic. Um, so Karma would be one you could do too. But Heroes for Hire is probably my easy pick. Okay. Uh, but DC, what other ones? Other I'll than pick Dead, Dead Man. Man and then for Marvel, what did I say? Invisible Woman versus the Kingpin. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you need to pick a villain. <laughs> I got in there. That's the first season arc. Bring back D'Onofrio like sure, you did sure. in the Daredevil series. I mean, Daredevil's powers are pretty doable. Also. I mean, there, there wasn't that much obvious CGI in the Daredevil series. Maybe there was a lot. It didn't look like yeah. a lot. That first season was really fun. Uh, I got bored by the end of it, but I think the first half was good. It's like a lot of the Netflix Marvel shows. If they took out three episodes and compressed it, it would be really Did good. Did I say this on the podcast? I, I went on a burst of watching all a bunch of fight scenes from those shows on YouTube. Yeah. And I loved it. And I was like, oh, this makes me think the shows are good. But the I fight scenes from Daredevil were awesome. Yeah, but I they, like, there's like a hallway fight that's, in the first episode that's great, but there's a similar stairwell fight in the second season. Right. They're both homages to Old Boy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. But I watched Old Boy, and I liked the Daredevil one more, so I think that's terrible. They had to learn, they got Old Boy to learn from. Um, and the stairwell one wasn't quite as good as the hallway one. Yeah. I like the hallway one because... Uh, the one-shotness. The, the pacing, the one-shotness and him like leaning on the wall and going yeah, into the rooms and incredibly you not good. and then he comes out. It's just very fun. It's If you're a fan of fight scenes, look up the Daredevil fight scene from season one. You probably already know about it if you're yeah. a fan of this kind of thing. It's so excellent. It is the... I think the best part of that entire whole season, unfortunately, it's definitely it's like a episode highlight. two. <laughs> it, it's great. Uh, I think the guy who plays Ben Urich is also really good. Um, yes, yes. So, like, what, what are some powers? We've got, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, of super-powered ones. There's so many Batman characters that don't have powers. Mm-hmm. This billionaire won't accept that. Nope. He wants powers. Um, you think in DC still? I'm just trying to think of another, other than Deadman, one other character that we could do pretty easily. I don't think you want anyone who flies, so just, like, take anyone who flies just off. Okay. Um, Can't do any green lanterns. Green arrow doesn't have any powers, right? Okay, so he's out. Um, um, the atom is... You can't really do shrinking. Shrinking. I mean, you can build sets. It gets expensive. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you could do it a little bit. Mm-hmm. It'd be tough. Uh, the powers are too powerful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Plastic Man is too... Is too How about a time traveler? Maybe that's the way to do it. Like Rip Hunter? Is that a superpower? Well, yeah, it's supernatural. I mean, it's... Mm, I wouldn't count it. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not something you can do. But it's I? a device. You have built a machine that lets you... Like, I don't consider Doc Brown a superhero. Uh, I meant somebody who could do it. Like, just like... they, they Like, yeah. Doctor Who is a superhero. Oh, is he? He just has a... Well, he, he has a TARDIS. He is an immortal being. Yeah, but that part doesn't help him travel through time. I, I think I can make the argument to the eccentric billionaire that a I Doctor Who-like character. The Doctor, problem Doctor Who is not in the DC universe. Doctor Who does have superpowers, but time travel is not one of them. All right, jeez. All right, uh, you know, like, there's, there's got to be somebody who can just travel through time, right? Maybe, but I don't know them. I don't either. Um, I mean, maybe ambush bug. <laughs> Pop would be easy. <laughs> it's a teleportation. That's yeah. his power. Yeah. yeah. Um, matter eater lad, he can eat anything. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, there's probably some legions of superhero characters that you can do for triplicate girl. <laughs> uh, some of those that, that are pretty easy to do. Yeah. Uh, Any of the new gods? No. Oh, Kirby. All, Kirby yeah. stuff has got too much power. <laughs> too much visual stuff too. It's always, they're yeah. always like flying around on a four leaf clover. Or Kirby something. stuff without the special effects is like, what are you? Why are you bothering? <laughs> um, I mean, does Ditko, the creeper, the question, they don't really have powers. The question. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah, but they don't have powers. Yeah. Um, Dead Man, I guess. That's our only All right, Dead Man's the, our answer. Okay. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. It was funny. Um, Tim Stack emails us. 
Uh, Will, after the nonplussed debacle, <laughs> here's a word you can correct Kevin on. Oh, good. It's uh, adaptation, not adaption. Yeah, right. Kevin, you idiot. Though I looked it up and both. <laughs> it's not one of these things where like adaption used to not be true, but now it is. It's like people oh, like irregardless. To, like, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's gotten wronged into yeah. correctness. So uh, okay, yeah. Enough idiots made it. We just have yeah. to. We had to dumb it down. Sorry, Tim. I'm not. Uh, the dictionary sunk to Kevin's level, Tim. I'm not using the Oxford comma or whatever that is. <laughs> um, but it's fair. It's a fair complaint. Will was confused by various definitions of nonplus that have changed over the years. I was so wrong. Uh, dear milk sops. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love we never announced ourselves as the milk sops. No, it's taken over. people have heard other people use that and it, it sticks. It sticks. If it's we, a nickname we did not pick for ourselves. If we named our podcast now, it would be the milk sops. Absolutely. Somehow. Yeah. Um, uh, even our when our uh, campfire posts about us, they refer to us as the milk sops now. I love it. Uh, so this is from Rich Baez. Long time, first time, and I'm enjoying the current season, especially... Having devoured these comics several times over back when I did time as a mopey teen. Yeah. Sandman being the only comic I've ever worn as a t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Me too. Uh, no, that's not true. I have others. Love and Rockets. Yeah. What but it's one of my main ones. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm ready to add a couple more recommendations to the ones you gave the listener. Okay. Uh, asking about good horror comics. This is great. The comics of Junji Ito. The recent collection Shiver is a great introduction, although it's hard to go wrong with most of his work. I'm going to check that out. And Strange Embrace by David Hine. I think I've read that, but I'm not 100% sure. I've read stuff by David Hine. It's a great title. Which is probably more elusive than Sandman or Junji Ito and might be as genuinely unsettling as a story can get, much less a comic. Ooh, what a recommendation. reminds me of, uh, uh, who's the, uh, is it Emily Carroll? Do you know who I'm talking about? Not yet. Uh, She does uh, scary comics. Let me Google that name and make sure I'm getting it right before I start talking about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, Emily Carroll, Through the Woods, is a book she did that's really spooky. Uh, she did a lot of online stuff, and then some of them have been put into print. Emily Carroll comics are also a good horror comics, or good, unsettling, scary comics. All right. They're like a kid walks through the woods and doesn't come back type of comics, and the parents just die inside type of stuff. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, thanks for these recommendations, Rich. Strange Embrace by David Hine and Shiver by Junji Ito. Um, I thought of another horror comic. Oh, do you want to keep going with his email? Uh, go ahead. There's another horror comic I wanted to recommend that I found on the streets of Williamsburg, Brooklyn once. Okay. And it's called Orchid. It was, when I say not, it wasn't like on the ground. It was like there was a, somebody selling books on a table on the sidewalk on Bedford Avenue. This is an extremely hipster moment that I'm almost bringing up just to say how yeah. hip I was in my early sure. 30s. But there's this comic book was called Orchid. And it's like all these indie comics artists adapted um, horror stories uh, that... Victorian horror stories that I, that I had not heard of. And they were each, like, fun or scary or interesting. And it's a great read. So look that up, guys. It, are you able to buy that without going to Williamsburg and buying it off a rack? It's, it's published by a place called Sparkplug Comic Books. Um, yeah, it's probably like an eBay kind of situation. Okay. It's worth it's worth finding. It was, re- And I think the obscurity of it adds to the to the... Like finding it and reading it itself feels like the beginning of a horror story. Like you have found a lost book <laughs> that wasn't meant to be found, you know. Um, Rich Ends was saying having the enforcers take over a Sandman <laughs> story was a truly was truly ingenious. And that was one of our writers who suggested that. Yeah. Keep up the excellent podcast. Oh, thanks so much. How generous. 
Um, Have these uh, already been read or something, the ones you're skipping? Yes. Okay. No, they're ones we've responded to and things like that. Okay. Uh, we got an email from Andrew Cox. Andrew Cox emailed a while back to make fun of you about nonplussed, Will. Okay, I deserve it. Um, and he has sent us, uh, uh, I'm going to read his old email just to remind us what it was. Okay, just because you like what No, because this wrong. next one is sort of a sequel. Okay, okay. Um, and you're too busy thinking about Sandman comics to remember uh, the emails from your fans. <laughs> Do you remember that issue of JLA when Superman told Batman that nonplussed means to react with anger and Batman just looked at him nonplussed and reminded him as a reporter Superman should know that nonplussed means for one to be surprised and confused so much that one is unsure how to react? Mm-hmm. That was his original email. I do remember that. Uh, he's re- emailed us back to say, do you remember that issue of Super Sons when Superboy told Robin that prodigal means beloved, to which Robin just scowled at him nonplussed and told him, as the son of a reporter, Superboy should know that prodigal means to spend money in a wastefully extravagant manner. Ah. So I looked it up, and it does mean that. It, it also means... Uh, the, a a son who went away, a child who went away. Okay. Not, not even favor, just like one who left. Okay. Uh, and maybe came back. I can't remember. Maybe the original meaning was spent a lot, but then because of the parable. Yeah. 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 Um, but the first I definition, I, the first definition is the wastefully, spending money in a wastefully extravagant manner. Okay. I'm yeah. Surprised. I think when I used prodigal, I was like, I'm not totally well, sure I, what it means. I think I said that first. Okay. We, and then we I, covered our track I asked you one. what it meant and you didn't know. Hmm. This wasn't, this, he's, he's not pinning us against each other, pitting us against each other. He's just sort of pointing out. Okay. I couldn't keep track of the metaphor. I just felt humiliated. Anyway, uh, that might be the last one. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Well, please send us more emails. Screw it, Spidey at Gmail and check out our Instagram, Screw It Comics. Uh, it's also a Twitter, Screw It Comics. We respond to these things, so contact us. We've got uh, nothing going on. And next uh, next podcast, we have a guest. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. We have a guest, um, the owner of a comic book shop, yeah. which we have on because we love comic shops, and this is a really nice guy and a great shop, and so we're going to talk to so him. So it's a, a little bit of a different episode. Should we say the name? We might as well say yeah. the name. Casey Bruce. Casey Bruce from Danger Room in Olympia, Washington yeah. uh, emailed us, and um, like uh, probably anybody who's listening to this, we have fond feelings about a good comic book shop. And uh, he is the co-owner of one, so yeah. we were happy to talk to him. And it's a great interview. We're really excited about yeah, it. We do really, talk about a Sandman issue. It's a really cool comic shop that seems like he not that we've been to it, but from what we've read and seen of it, it looks really great. Unless he's putting forward the most elaborate, low-stakes uh, con that just totally fooled us. If this is a sting operation, if this is a sting operation, meaning like the movie The Sting. <laughs> the whole thing is a fake just to yeah. get somebody. If that's true, let us know. That'd be so much fun That'd to be, be great. Let us know if you get the guy, Casey. Yeah, Casey, if you get the guy, let us let us have credit. <laughs> yeah, that's next episode. We'll cover uh, whatever issue number of Sammy we're doing. The it's Golden from World's Boy. End, the Prez issue. The Golden Boy is the what Golden it's called. The Golden Boy, yeah. Uh, that's next week, and then the week after that, it'll be us alone again. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Comics. Hi, I'm Michelle Veray. And I'm Kimberly Trung, and we are the host of Crush Fictionally, a podcast all about your favorite fictional characters from movies, TV shows, and more. Each episode, we pick a theme, curate a list of characters that we love, why we love them, and some fun facts about the people who created them. So if you've ever felt a true connection with a fictional character, tune in to Crush Fictionally on Campfire Media or wherever you find your podcast. Campfire.